Okay, I've been, uh, I've been blessed uh, with Pastor Harry going through, uh, going through the book of James. I hope you've been blessed as well in hearing Pastor Harry as he's taught through the book of James. I'm going to be back in James today, uh, but I'm also going to bounce around a little bit. Uh, not a lot, but a little bit. We're going to be in James mostly, and there's something key and important that I really want us to understand from the book of James. Uh, but we're also going to be a little bit in the book of Job. Uh, and you might not immediately see a connection between James and Job, but I promise you that it's, it's there. And understanding Job, to a certain extent, is going to help us understand James and what, uh, what James is trying to accomplish in his letter. And I want this to, I want this to be a time of encouragement to you, and understanding perseverance. This is our main idea for today. The main thing that we're going to be thinking about and working through in the book of James, the idea of perseverance as a Christian. We've talked about, Pastor Harry's talked a lot about laws. He's talked a lot about the commandments that we see in James. Test yourself. Know whether you are a Christian or not a Christian. And that's a very important, uh, important thing to consider in the book of James. And in line with that, in conjunction with that, we also want to understand how does James talk about perseverance? At the very end of James, he's going to give the example of Job, uh, which is an initial connection, but there really is quite a, a deep connection between James and the book of Job. And this will help us to understand perseverance as a Christian. What does that look like for us as individual Christians? Now, Martin Luther, we all know the name Martin Luther. Uh, Martin Luther was a lion in church history. He was a giant in church history. Uh, He accomplished a great deal, and the Lord accomplished a great deal through Martin Luther in his time. But uh, Martin Luther did not like the book of James. Uh, He did not appreciate the book of James like he should have. In fact, one interesting thing about Martin Luther that's somewhat to his detriment is he said the book of James is the epistle of straw. He called the book of James the epistle of straw. Martin Luther didn't understand one key thing that I want us to grasp today. One key thing about James that I want us to understand that will really help us to appreciate James and why, why is James speaking as he is? What is James trying to accomplish? Uh, and I think there's a key thing that we can learn, that we can understand about the book of James so that we don't also think of James as the epistle of straw. Why was Martin Luther calling James the epistle of straw? Why did he think that? Well, he saw, it as, he saw James as being on the surface level. He saw the book of James as, as just giving laws and commands. He didn't, he didn't go so far as to say that you should take it out of the canon. He wasn't saying that. Uh, but he saw it, he wrestled with it, and he saw it as being something that's just giving commands. Do this, and do that, and don't do this, and don't do that, and act this way, and, and do this. And he saw it as a surface level. Martin Luther loved the book of Galatians. He loved the book of Romans. Galatians and Romans have rich and deep theology. I'm taking through uh, some of my guys at the seminary through the book of Romans right now. 
And almost every verse or every other verse, there's a reference to Christ. There's a reference to Jesus. Talk about who Jesus is, our Lord and Savior. What has Jesus accomplished on our behalf? What has Jesus done for us? What is Christ like? There's a lot of rich and deep theology in those books, and and Luther loved those books. He loved the, the deep theology that they had. But he saw James in contrast, and he said, well, James is giving us a bunch of laws. It's given us a bunch of rules and regulations, and, and Luther didn't really understand the intention of James. I mentioned in Romans, uh, it's really every verse or every other verse or every few verses where Christ is mentioned. It talks about Christ. What has he done for us? What has he accomplished for us? Well, we contrast that with the book of James. The book of James only mentions Jesus Christ specifically only a handful of times. Only a handful of times. There's James 1.1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The next time he mentions Jesus specifically is chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. There's a passing reference to Christ in chapter 2, verse 7. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Chapter 3, verse 9, with our tongue we bless our Lord and Father, reference to Christ. Chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, be patient until the coming of the Lord, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Chapter 5, verse 14, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. These are the really only references that we have to Jesus in James. That's interesting. Luther picked up on that and he said, I I don't understand that. I don't understand what James is really trying to accomplish. Now, in addition to that, James also jumps from thing to thing. Let me read a couple of the topics. This is just from chapter one alone. James talks about Christian suffering. He talks about the wisdom of God. He talks about the humility of the Christian, the perishing of the wicked, the promise of the crown of life, the temptation of sin. The result of sin is death. God is provider. God's intention in the church, hypocrisy, the Christian in the law, bridling the tongue, pure religion, and taking care of orphans and widows. He jumps around all over the place. He's not consistent in the sense of Paul's consistency. Paul says, let me talk about justification. And Paul talks about justification for a chapter. And then Paul says, let me talk about sanctification. And he talks about sanctification for a chapter. And let me talk about glorification. And he talks about glorification for a chapter. James jumps all over the place. That was just in chapter 1, all of these things that James is addressing only in chapter 1. So he jumps, he jumps around a lot. But let me tell you that there is specific intention and purpose behind James doing this. There's even intention and purpose behind James not mentioning Christ only more than a handful of times. There's intention and purpose in that. James is not leaving it out. James is intentionally doing this. And I want us to understand why, so that we don't also view James as the epistle of straw like Luther did. I want you to think about James, I want you to think about James like a painting, okay? 
I'm not a painter. Uh, I have no idea how to paint. I've never tried to paint. Uh, I've drawn a couple of stick figures in my life, and that's about it. And even they were a little, a little wonky. Uh, I'm not a painter at all. Maybe you're a painter. Uh, but have you, ever, have you ever seen one of those painters that paints different parts of the picture all at once? The painter has in his mind, the painter knows before he starts painting, before he looks and, and puts a brush to the canvas, the painter knows, this is what I'm going to paint. And he has a perfect picture in his mind. Again, this is all theoretical because I have no idea how to do this. He has a perfect picture in his mind about what he's going to paint and what it's going to look like. And you might, I, in fact, I've seen, a, I've seen a couple of painters do this, where they'll, they'll start painting up in, the, up in a corner, and you're not really sure what it is and what he's painting. And then they'll stop in that area, and they'll move down, and they'll paint in another corner. And then they'll change places again and paint in a different spot. And, and they're kind of all over the canvas. And they're jumping from point to point, And they're moving around a lot on the canvas. And then at one point, suddenly, you look at the painting. You go, oh, that's what it is. That's what he's painting. I don't know if you've ever seen a painter do that. I, I saw a painter uh, who he was, painting, uh, he was painting a bridge. And I had no idea what it was that he was painting. There was a bunch of lines all over and, and the marks that he made. In fact, he was painting it upside down. And as he's painting through and going through, I'm like, I, I'm watching him do this. He painted it in about, of course, of 10 minutes. And I'm watching him do this. And I'm trying to figure out what is he painting. And then he finishes and he puts the last mark on it and he turns it around. And I'm like, that's a bridge. And it was a beautiful, beautiful painting. James is doing the same thing here. James is doing the same thing. James does not mention Jesus again and again like Paul does. But James does something very, very interesting. Let me point you back to chapter 1 again. Okay, I'm just going to go through, I'm going to go through only a select few verses to show you the pattern to show you the pattern of what James is doing and what he's trying to accomplish. Okay, so James starts out in chapter 1, and he says, he's talking about steadfastness in suffering. And he talks about that leading to perfection. Okay, verse 4, chapter 1, verse 4. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete. Lacking in nothing. We read that and we apply that to ourselves and we go, whoa, that's, I, I, maybe, I, maybe I'm fast. I could maybe describe myself as being steadfast. Uh, but he says, be steadfast, let it have its full effect so that you can be perfect and complete, not lacking in a single thing. And we look at that and we apply that to ourselves and we say, that's not me. Uh, I'm not perfect and complete. Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm like a, you know, I'm fairly steadfast, but I'm not perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James continues on. Again, he's bouncing around idea to idea. 
from part of the canvas to other part of the canvas. And he says, he talks about God's wisdom sent from above. If any of you lacks, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. But that perfect wisdom, that perfect wisdom, that's from above, sent down by God. Wisdom sent down by God. Chapter 1, verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Well, who was the lowliest? Who was the greatest exalted? Christ was. Christ's humiliation and exaltation. Chapter 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Who is the good and perfect gift? Who is sent down from the Father of lights? Chapter 1, verse 18. That we, Christians, would be firstfruits of his creatures. Who is the firstfruit? Who is the firstfruit of resurrection? Christ. Chapter 1, verse 19. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Christ Jesus before Pilate. Slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to become angry. Chapters 1, verse 22 through 25. Be a doer of the law. Who did the law perfectly? Who fulfilled the law perfectly? Christ did. Chapter 1, verse 27. Pure religion is to take care of orphans and widows. What was Christ's ministry exemplified by? What was the key factor of Christ's ministry? Taking care of the abandoned. Taking care of the needy. Oh, let me go have dinner at this person's house. I'm not going to go to the Pharisees and have dinner at their house. I'm not going to go to the Sadducees and have dinner at their house. I'm going to go to the abandoned. I'm going to go to those who are poor. I'm going to go to those who are needy and take care of them. Pure religion is to take care of orphans and widows. As we've been going through the book of James, as Pastor Harry's been teaching through the book of James and talking through the book of James with us, have you ever felt like James is just really impossible to do? It's not something that's, that you're able to do. It's important for you to test yourself. It's important for you to understand, am I really a Christian? Do I really have a true saving faith that's described like we see in the book of James? Do I have that saving faith? But in addition to that, do you ever find as you're studying James and looking through James, this is, this is just really impossible. How can I be perfect and complete lacking in nothing? How do I follow pure, true religion? How can I be a, a perfect doer of God's law? How can I always be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to become angry? How can I do all of these things? If I put myself up as a measurement against James, I'm falling short of that. It's clear in my life that I'm falling short of what James is trying to teach me and what James is trying to show me. Well, James is intentional in that. 
That's the purpose of the book of James. That's the point of the book. James is not just jumping around giving us laws. He's not just saying, all right, if you're going to be a good Christian, do this. Uh, If you're going to be a really good Christian, you need to do this and don't do this. James is not just jumping around in order to give us laws to accomplish and laws to do. James is painting a picture. He's starting up in a corner and he's saying, let me talk about Let me talk about patience. And let me talk about pure religion and what that looks like down here in this corner. Let me talk about controlling your tongue. Let me talk about you controlling your anger. Let me talk about all of these different things. And at the end of the book, James wants you to see Christ. He wants you to see this description all through these laws, he wants you to see this description, and at the end of the book, you go, oh, look, that's Christ. That's Christ. But James is doing something that's not new to James. This is not something that James just came up with. James is actually copying the Torah. James is copying the Pentateuch. I had an opportunity to teach through Pentateuch recently. And really enjoyed it. I love teaching through the first five books of the Old Testament. And James, James is doing the exact same thing that the Pentateuch is doing, that the Torah is doing. What is the Torah ultimately? I'm not going to give you a I'm going to give you a 30-second summary of the Pentateuch. What's the point of the Pentateuch? Leviticus. Uh, you know, don't, don't wear clothing woven of two types of material. Great. Okay. I think this has a couple types of, of uh, material in it. Uh, if you, uh, you want to give a thank offering, then you need to sacrifice a turtle dove in such and such a manner uh, and bring your offering in such and such a manner before the Lord. Uh, if, you, uh, if you have a house, you need to build a parapet around the top of the roof uh, if you uh, if you come across a dead body, you're not allowed to touch it because then you're going to be unclean. If you become unclean, then you need to go to the temple. You need to sacrifice a particular offering in order to make yourself clean again. What's the point of all of that? It's the same thing that James is doing. When you come all the way to the end of the Torah, you come all the way to the end of the Pentateuch, Moses has a very particular a uh, reminder for Israel. They're about to go into the land. They've received all of these commands. They've received their history. They've received all of this understanding. Where have we come from? What did we do in the wilderness? Why did we fail? They understand all of these things now. Moses writes it all out for them. In chapter 30, verses 1 through 10 of Deuteronomy, he says, you're not going to do any of these laws. You're going to break and you're going to fail the law. You're going to fail because you don't have a heart that loves God. You don't have a heart that loves God. So you're going to fail. And Moses even says, after you fail, because I know you're going to fail, after you fail, and then you return to God, he will accept you again. After you fail. Because I know you're going to fail. Because you don't have a heart that seeks after Christ. You don't have a heart 
that loves God. James is saying the same thing here. Question, do you have a heart that truly loves God? How do we know if we have a heart that truly loves God? Well, faith without works is dead. Let me, let me speak to you. James says, let me speak to you in terms of laws so that I can paint a picture for you so that you might see Christ and respond to Christ in love. Now, there's, a, there's, an, important, there's an important principle for us to get. A law is only as good as, as the, the one context or the one situation in which the law is given. What's important for us to understand are the principles that govern the law that was given. So there's a law, there's an iteration of the law. Don't, uh, don't break the 35 mile an hour speed limit. It's a law, but it's a law for one situation in one context. My, my beautiful wife is due with our first child in July. If we're in the car and my wife is giving birth... I'm not going to abide by the 35-mile-an-hour speed limit. Okay, I'm not going to be thinking about the 35-mile-an-hour speed limit. So I need another law. There was a first law that said you can go 35, but now I need a second law that says if your wife is giving birth in the seat next to you, you are allowed to go actually 55. I need a second law because there's a second situation. So laws are... Laws are imperfect to deal with every single situation. The point of a law is to show you what the principle is behind the law. What's the principle behind a speed limit? Safety. Abide by and follow the principle of safety. When Jesus asks the young man, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Why is that the greatest commandment? Because it's the principle. If you love God with all of your heart, you don't need laws anymore because you just do them automatically. If you truly love God, you don't need laws to tell you what to do. Okay, now, (laughs) I want to focus in on something very specific in James. I needed to set all of that up. I promise that I'm not going to take you way, way over time, okay? I only have two sheets of notes. Be encouraged, okay? Only two sheets. I want us to think about one particular aspect in James. I know that I said that James bounces around a lot. James bounces around quite a bit, okay? And he's painting a picture from various angles, talking about things very quickly, But something very interesting and important to notice in the book of James. He starts out, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. At the end of the book, chapter 5, verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. I'm going to let Pastor Harry 
uh, work through the prayer of faith in 5.13 and on. But James bookends his book with one idea. At the beginning and all the way at the end, James bookends his whole book with the idea of perseverance. He says, as an example of suffering, let me, let me give you an example of the prophets. Let me give you the example of Job. He doesn't go into a lot of detail about Job. He mentions Job once, just like he mentions Christ only five times in his book. But he says, as I'm describing these things, it should just come to your mind. You should know. You should know the history. You should know Job as an example. Okay, so behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job and have seen the purpose of the Lord. Why does he bookend his whole book with the idea of steadfastness, of perseverance? It's very important for us to notice that and take uh, take care in understanding why he's done this. But in order for us to understand this, I want to talk just for a little bit about Job. I love the book of Job. Job is a fascinating, fascinating book. If you have time, uh, if you're looking for the next book to study in your devotions, read the book of Job and take time, take careful time and attention to studying the book of Job. Take a look at the end of verse 11, 511. You have seen the purpose of the Lord. He's talking about Job. You've seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Compassionate and merciful. What do you remember about Job? Job had 10 children, seven sons and three daughters that were killed all in the same day. We're expecting our first. I can't imagine losing 10 children in the same day. The description in chapters 1 and 2 of Job is that the people who were coming to tell him of all of the catastrophe that happened said, before this one stopped talking, the next one was there. And before this one stopped talking to say, all of, your, all of your sheep are gone. Fire fell from heaven and all of your sheep are gone. And the next one came before this one even stopped explaining and stopped talking. And he said, there was a raiding party and he came and the Sabaeans came and took away all of your, your camels, your money. It's all gone. Everything's gone. And before that one could stop talking, the next one came in. And he said, all your children are, are dead. They're gone. But James says, you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now be honest. Be honest. When you read the book of James, when you think about, excuse me, when you read the book of Job, you think about the book of Job is the first thing that comes to your mind about God's character, that he's compassionate and that he's merciful, that he's kind, that he's gentle. Is that the first thing that comes to your mind? At the end of the book of Job, there's a, 
restoration, if you will. There's a restoration. And God gives back to Job wealth and possessions and power and children. But is that, is that a restoration? If those, if those ten children are gone, those ten children died, and then I say, oh, here's ten more children, is that, is that one for one? Does that take away from pain of losing those ten children? No. And that's not the point of the end of Job. That's not the point of what Job is saying, that I just replaced it and and now everything's okay. So what is it about Job that should remind us of the purpose of the Lord, that he's compassionate and that he's merciful? What is it about the book of Job? What's perseverance? We consider those blessed who remained steadfast. James bookends his whole book with this idea of perseverance. He bookends his whole book. He says here, within the book, there's this and this and this and this. There's bridling your tongue and there's true worship and there's true religion and there's taking care of orphans and widows and there's this and this and this. But he bookends the whole book with the idea of perseverance. Why does he do that? For the same reason, for the same intention in the book of Job. Because the book of Job, the book of Job is a little bit different than other wisdom books. The book of Job is unique in what it contributes to the Bible. And that's why you need to spend time and study it and really get to know the book. Because it's unique in what it contributes. Job is different than Proverbs. The book of Proverbs says, in an ideal world... If you do this, if you do good, then this blessing will come to you. Raise up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. That's saying in in an ideal world, in the right world, if you do good, blessing will come to you. Moses told the exact same thing to the Israelites right before they entered in the land. He gave them blessings and he gave them curses. Deuteronomy 27 and 28 says, if you keep this law, if you do right, then rain's going to come on your land and your crops are going to yield so much fold and your cattle will be healthy and you will live long in the land and disease will not come to you and your enemies will not overtake you. If you don't do what's in the law, then these cursings, These curses come upon you. Okay? So the book of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs says, in an ideal world, you do good and blessing comes back to you. The book of Job says, Job, I did good. I did everything I was supposed to do. God, you, I I, I followed after you. Job was a blameless man who was upright, who turned away from evil. There's no secret hidden sin. Job's friends come to him and they say, hey, where's the sin? Where's the hidden sin? I know you've got it. I know you rebelled. That's why these curses have come upon you. Job says, I didn't sin. I did what God said. I did what 
Yahweh told me to do. I'm not perfect, but he says, I followed after Yahweh. So why didn't Proverbs happen? Why is all of this taken away from me? Why is all of this gone? And throughout the book, Job is trying to understand. He's trying to understand why are these things happening to me? I didn't sin. I didn't do wrong that these horrible things would come upon me. Now, Job wasn't perfect in how he responded to God. He wasn't perfect in that. If you read through the book of Job, uh, Job describes God, it depends on what chapter you're reading, but Job describes God sometimes in a harsh way because he's in harsh circumstances. And in the beginning of the book, he's responding to his friends. And he says, he says to his friends, I didn't do wrong. And they have a dialogue back and forth again and again. Towards the end of the book, Job just stops talking to his friends and he starts praying. He says, I'm, I'm done with you. I'm done with the dialogue back and forth with my friends. I'm just praying to God now. I'm trying to understand what's going on. Job says, Job describes God as not leaving him alone long enough for him to swallow his spit. He says, God won't, he won't even leave me alone long enough for me to swallow. I can't get a breath. I can't get a break. He describes God as crushing him with his hand, putting pressure on him. He says, the pressure just doesn't let up. He's crushing me with his hand. It's like a lion who's mauling me. But the key point, the key factor in Job and also in James, and this is exactly what James points to here, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. Throughout all of that prayer that Job is giving, dialogue with friends, everything that happened to him, and then him praying to God, Job, though he wasn't perfect in everything that he said, he remained steadfast. Job says in, in chapter 19, I know my Redeemer lives. I know it. I don't know why this is happening to me. I don't know why God has taken all these things from me. I don't know why my children are dead now. I don't know why, but I know, I know my Redeemer lives. And I will not ever give that up. I won't ever give up that understanding and that faith. He never stopped praying to God. And he also never stopped believing in God's sovereignty. There was never a point in the book of Job where Job says, well, maybe God's just not in control. Maybe God just doesn't know what he's doing. And somebody else came in and did this to me. There's never, ever that question in the book of Job. He always believes in God's sovereignty. He never stops praying to God. And he says, I know my Redeemer lives. Not only in 19, but he says it several times throughout the book. Where is Job getting that steadfastness? 
This is where I'm going to, this is where I tie all of these things together. I'm almost out of time, but I want you to see the connection between these things. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Why is God described as compassionate and merciful? Because Job was steadfast. Because Job was steadfast. The book of Job is a case study in the Old Testament of perseverance. Perseverance of the saints. Job was a follower of God. He had wealth, he had possessions, he had a beautiful family, and then God took it all away from him. And the question is, when you strip away everything that surrounds you, all that blessing and all of that goodness from the Lord and all of those good things and all of that comfort, when you strip all of that away and it's all gone and you get right down to the character of someone who trusts and follows after God, who's a follower of Yahweh, when you get right down to that character and that character is laid open and there's nothing to there's nothing to comfort, there's nothing to uh, give relief, there's There's no time even to to swallow your spit. You take it right down to that. What is that character? What's the essence and the heart of that character? It's perseverance. Because God is bringing about that perseverance. James is saying the same thing. He's not giving you a bunch of laws to say, do this and do that and do this and do that. He's talking about you persevering as a Christian and that being a gift from God. Your ability to persevere as a Christian, the salvation that you have as a Christian is not something that you made, not something that you earn, not something that you keep. Christ keeps it. God keeps it. God keeps you. And we see in the book of James, all of these laws saying, let's take a look at Christ. Let's take a look at the example of Christ. What does Christ look like? Christ was the one who persevered. Job is not the ultimate example of suffering. In fact, there's people today that you could say have suffered more than Job. It's a poignant picture, but Job's not, Job's not, he's not completely unique. But even more so than Job, we see Christ, who was the sufferer, who sustained Christ in his suffering. God sustained Christ in his suffering. Christ persevered through all of that suffering on your behalf for you. And the picture that James paints, the final portrait that he brings out for us is to say, look at Christ, who's the perfect example. Now you, as a Christian, you, let's talk about uh, not being a double-minded man. Uh, Let's talk about not taking the the best place and making yourself of most importance. Uh, Let's talk about you controlling your tongue, being careful with your tongue. But he bookends everything. He bookends the whole book to say, 
perseverance. Perseverance of the Christian is what categorizes and locks in all of these commands, all of this picture. Just as Christ persevered, just as Christ was the one who persevered through all of his suffering, so also you as a Christian, when you break it down, whatever your situation, maybe you're living in comfort like Job was before uh, in Job chapter 1 verse 1. Maybe you're living in suffering. Maybe you're living in a problematic time. Maybe you're living in personal anguish. You break all of that down. All of that context and that situation, you break all of that down. What's the end? What's the point? Your character is one as a Christian that perseveres perfectly in trial. Again, Job, I say perfectly as in completely. Job didn't respond perfectly to God, but Job persevered through all of that. And you, in the same way, James is trying to show you, he's trying to teach you, you as a Christian, you will persevere. You will persevere. We can talk about the laws, we can talk about Christ as a perfection of the laws, but we will persevere as Christians. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you, Lord, for the work that you've done on our behalf. We thank you for pictures that you give to us, like the picture of Job. We're thankful, Lord, for your kindness towards us, that you are the one who sustains us. It's not in our strength. It's not in our power. You're the one who sustains us. You're the one who brings about our ultimate glorification. We're thankful, Lord, that we can trust in you, rely upon you. We're thankful for the book of James. I pray that you would bless all of us here Pray that you give us strength. Uh, Pray, Lord, that you would give us perseverance. Pray again, Lord, for those in Ukraine, that you would cause them to persevere, that they would demonstrate their true faith. We thank you, Lord, for Christ, the example that he is for us, the work that he's done on our behalf, and we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.